See, our physical senses allow us to enjoy and experience life. You may not have given a lot of thought to that, but they're very, very important for you to navigate through life in this physical realm. It's not only the beauty and all that you see, but it's so necessary for you to live life with these senses because without them, you wouldn't be able to experience life. Imagine life without your five senses. Think about if you didn't have those five senses, you were blind or deaf, or you had no taste, no inability to smell or unable to feel. Imagine trying to experience life without those senses. A lot of times people fear losing those senses. You know, your eyesight getting worse and possibly going blind, or a person, um, as, as many people as they age, um, beginning to lose some hearing. Or that touch and feel. And, and I think a lot of times we kind of begin to think about how important these senses are, but often take them just for granted. But God created us with these physical senses so that we might enjoy the physical realm all around us, that little hand of a child in your own hand, the hug that you receive from someone you deeply love, the kind of a warm sun. You felt that as you walk outside and you feel it on your shoulder. The incredible beauty is you see trees beginning to bud and flowers to blossom and everything greening. Imagine seeking to navigate through life without your senses. Close your eyes for a second. Just close your eyes. Think about this with your eyes closed. You you, you couldn't feel anything. You couldn't taste anything. You couldn't smell anything. Now, if you plugged your ears, you couldn't hear anything. Okay, now don't fall asleep on me, okay? Wake up again. The Bible is really clear about something. Just as we experience the fullness of life through our physical senses, so also to experience life in its fullness, beyond what God ever intended, more than just what is physical, he gave us spiritual senses so that we would begin to experiencing a a deeper life than, than merely physical senses and even physical appetites. Uh, you cannot experience the life as God intended without your spiritual senses. Jesus made this point. He said, I have come that we you may have life and life that is abundant. He's talking to people who had all their physical senses, but they were missing something. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10, the latter part of 10 through verse 3, 1. I'm going to ask you to stand as I read these verses. Because I want you to listen to it. Paul has just been speaking to this church. He had come from Athens and he came to Corinth and he had given this incredible, wise, intelligent message to philosophers in in Athens. And now he comes to Corinth and he says he's coming in trembling and fear. I think it's because in that message at Athens, this incredible, great message, really appealing to the mind of people, but very few came to faith in Christ. So he makes a, a point at one, at one point in scripture here in, in Corinthians, and he says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith may not rest on man's wisdom, on your mind, but on God's power that you'll begin to sense with your spirit. And so he goes on to say, no one has seen and no ear, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. 
And here's these verses. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thought except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak. Not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught us by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. And then he goes on and he says, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolish and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. It's in critical verse. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of Christ so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Brothers and sisters, now he gets to trans- move into a different topic here in chapter 3. I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, your spiritual senses and the Spirit of God, but as people who are still worldly, living by your appetites, by your physical senses, mere infants in Christ. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we would pray that you would open the eyes of our heart. Give us ears to hear. May we taste your goodness. And would you fill this room and our lives with the fragrance of your presence. So that we may touch others with your love as you, Jesus, have mercifully reached down and touched us. I just pray, Spirit of God, awaken us. Heighten our spiritual senses through your word. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. You know, I got this idea for this message, and I thought about it, and I'm thinking, wow, how do I, I need to explain a few things before we kind of move further into it. And, and there are three things that are necessary for you to have had occurred for you to truly walk in the Spirit, the Spirit of God, touching your spirit so that your spirit informs your mind. So the Spirit of God informs your spirit, so your spirit informs your mind. So your mind governs your eyes and all your other senses. And the first thing that's really important, it's what it must happen, is you must be born again. And this isn't something I'm making up. This is from the Word of God. In fact, Jesus himself says these words. When a, when a, when a person who should know more, Nicodemus, comes to him at night, afraid that his other Pharisees are going to see him, it says that now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, and he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see, no one can see, he's talking about spiritual eyes here, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And one time he would say to the crowd, he'd say, those of you who have ears to hear. So he's not, you know, he looked at everybody, they had ears. He's talking about some senses that have been awakened by the Spirit. But the way they're awakened by the Spirit, he says, how can someone, says Nicodemus, be born when they're old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Now, this is a guy who is steeped in Scripture. He should know this. You go back to some of the Old Testament Scriptures, Jeremiah and others, where they actually talk about this. So there's some understanding that he should have. But he doesn't get it. And so Jesus answers very truly. Here's the truth. You can bank on this. I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God, can begin to live in the realm of the Spirit, can begin to live in the kingdom of God, can begin to express the values of God, can begin to touch other people's lives with the Spirit of God, 
can be able to hear and understand deeper with discernment what's going on and even conversations, what's going on in our own lives without the Spirit of God. If I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water in the Spirit. And there's been all kinds of translations and work on that, but it really makes sense when you read the next two words. Flesh gives birth to flesh. You're born with water, the water breaks. In the same way, you're born in the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. And you will not be able to experience and navigate the spiritual world unless you've been born again, which it says in that scripture, born from above, which means from the kingdom, which means from heaven, which means the realm where God dwells and will live with you if you've opened your heart to Jesus. Because flesh gives birth to flesh. Everyone here has been physically born. But only God knows whether you've been spiritually born. Only God knows if you've come to a place in your life where you said, God, I recognize that you have given me so many incredible gifts. Or, or God, I've come to a place where I, I've been trying to run my life in my own flesh and my own ability. And you come to a place where you come to the end of yourself and, and you say, but God, I need you. I repent. I just ask for you to, in this situation, forgive me. Some people come to Christ out of success and go, God, I look at this. I can't believe this is not something I could do. I recognize your hand on me. And, and they begin to say, God, I just recognize how how much I need you, how much you influence me, would you birth in me through this death and resurrection of Jesus, the spirit who he gives. And so you must be born again, he says. There's a second thing, he says, you must welcome the spirit into your daily life. So if the first one is the decision, it's an act of the will. You don't just grow up in a church and, and kind of just happens. It's, it's, a, it's a decision, an act of will that says, God, I ask you into my life. I ask Jesus for you to send your spirit so that I can begin to walk. And here's the, here's the second thing. It's a surrender. You, you welcome the spirit into your daily life. That decision becomes a a day-by-day decision where you surrender. And you don't just surrender once. You surrender maybe at the beginning of the day, but you'll find yourself surrendering again and again to say, Jesus, be my guide. Lead me. Direct me. I want to walk in the Spirit. I don't want to be led by my physical senses alone. When I'm in a time of a, a difficult trial and circumstance, I don't want to look at it with my fleshly eyes and become all nervous and anxious, but I want to walk in such a way that I recognize that I look at it with the eyes of faith and I listen to the voice of God and his word, which has told me that, listen, I love you, son. I love you, daughter. That as you go through this, I'm with you. But that doesn't just happen. It's a decision that becomes a sense of surrender where you begin to say, God, I want you to rule my life. Moment by moment, day by day. So you may have made that decision and said, I I want to receive you. I recognize my need of you. But you may not be in that place where you've given over your life on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis where you begin to say, Spirit of God, I want you to rule me. I want you to start to lead through me. I don't want to live by my physical reactions. I want to begin to live by spiritual responses. You can learn all kinds of relational reactions when you're younger just to survive, but now you want to move from just surviving to moving a place where you actually thrive and grow because now you start listening to the Spirit of God. You take hold of the Word of God that begins to teach you about the realities of this kingdom and the Spirit. And then there's another third thing. It's not only that you welcome, so you you make this decision where you're born again, you, you begin to 
welcome him through a sense of surrender on a daily basis, but then there's what I call, you must develop your spiritual senses. It's a commitment. I, I began reading in 1 Corinthians where Paul says, the person level of the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Now, Paul sets that up because he's ready to move into something in chapter 3 that's so necessary to talk about. He, he says now, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, your spiritual senses, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I couldn't address you as spiritual, people who are growing in their spiritual senses. I had to address you as people who are still living by your natural impulses. I had to address you as people who are immature, people who have not developed their spiritual senses. And so I ask you, is Paul, the Spirit of God, speaking to you? You walk through life, you fail to see God in, in a trial where you begin to say, saying, you know, by faith, I'm going to look and see, God, you're in this, I'm going to trust you. Through your day, you give little thought to listening to the voice of God. You have ears to hear, spiritual ears, but you just don't really focus and give any attention to them. You have all kinds of conversations throughout the day, but you don't really converse a lot maybe with God. Your faith is a head thing. You've been in church for a long time, and it's been registering in your head. You like to study. You like to go to study groups around the Bible. You know the Bible. You can speak the Bible better than probably anyone around you, but it's a head thing. And as Peter said last week, it's not to be a head thing. It's to be a tasting. It's an experiential thing. What does it mean for you to begin to taste the goodness of God? And when you taste the goodness of God, it leads to humility. When you just feed your head on the word of God, it becomes something puffed up, says Paul, like pride. And you begin to notice the fragrance of the presence of God. Wow, this is sweet. God is here. And, and not only then do you begin to notice the fragrance of God, you begin to realize that he's touching your heart and, 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 and kind of just nudging you in a direction because he wants to use you to touch someone else. And you would have missed it completely because you've never developed your spiritual senses. You may do that intentionally or unintentionally. You may have never even thought of it this way. I, I hadn't. I thought, wow, as I, was, I was listening to some person's message and he was talking about something about the senses and I said, Wow. I'm just going to look at this in Scripture, and it began to just come out alive to me and go, wow, how often God says these physical senses deeper in our spirit, our, our spiritual senses. So I'm on the plane. I'm flying back. I pick up the New York Times this last weekend for uh, their weekend edition, and a, a subtitle of one article caught my attention. It says, a provocative exhibition asks visitors to focus on senses other than sight. I thought, well, that's interesting. I'm doing this thing on spiritual senses, so I read it. Studies show that people tend to use primarily one physical sense, sight. The article says, humans have relied on sight more than any other sense. We apparently have the same number of genes for detecting smell as other primates. But half of them, over time, through lack of use, have stopped functioning. 
Vision is the most external and remote from us. That's an interesting thing. It's the most external and remote from us. It's a wonderful thing. It's why we're who we are today, because we can envision things and make things happen. But he goes on, and, and, and they say, by contrast, those sounds vibrate inside us. Smells inhabit us. We may not always be able to recall what a place looks like, but a smell can retrieve the memory for us. Anybody smell right now? I'm going to use cookies, chocolate chip cookies. Or as you're walking and you grab a rose and you can you smell the fragrance of the rose? It inhabits us. Touch, anthropologist Ashley Montague once wrote, is the parent of our eyes, ears, nose, and mouth tethering us to the world. It's the ground that we stand on. It's the things that hold us. You don't have to read Proust. Anybody know who Proust is? I don't either. Anyway, you don't have to read Proust to know that taste also speaks volumes. And the point is this. As much as the world... And, and, and we focus on the world through our physical senses, which we need to navigate and experience through life. The thing I want to challenge us to be thinking about is, is, do you give attention to the spiritual senses, and are you developing them, and what does that mean, and what does it look like in your life? You can actually concentrate on certain spiritual senses, like hearing. You can begin to say, God, I'm going to read your word so that I get to know your word, and so that, God, as I walk through life, I also want to listen to you, and I want to hear you. So I'm going to share with you what I would consider to be um, three things you can do to develop the sense of touch, the spiritual sense of touch. What, what would that look like? How do you increase your sensitivity to the Spirit of God so that you can live the life of God as he intends? The first is this, you have to develop the touch of the Spirit's leading. There's a, a great little account after Jesus on his eighth day is brought to the temple. There is Anna who holds him, and then there's a man named Simeon. And I love this account in chapter 2 of Luke, verse 26. It had been revealed to him, Simeon, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit... He went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child of Jesus to do for him what was a custom of the law required, which I think is incredible. Either it was a coincidence or, it's, as Luke said, he had such sensitivity that, as it says here, the Spirit revealed, he's sitting there, the Spirit reveals to him, he hears the Spirit of God, he's nudged by the Spirit of God, he goes to the temple, he's moved to go into the temple, and he sees Jesus, whom he has been promised he would see, because he had developed the touch of the Spirit's leading where you get the taste and experience the goodness of God. And so, here is Simeon who does that. You can make a commitment to develop the sense and say, God, I want to take some time, and you may choose different senses through these couple of weeks that we're going to be going through this, but maybe the sense of touch and say, God, I want to learn how to feel your gentle touch on my heart so that when you nudge me, I just obey and I move into it. Um, we have horses at our home, um, and they're like really old now. But uh, did you know that really well-trained horses, not my horses, but well-trained horses, a person can ride them, and all they have to do is just barely press with their heel on their side, and the horse will turn the way they want it to go? You aware of that? 
They're so inclined to feel the touch of that master's riding and direction that they, not mine. My horses sometimes you got to go bam, yank. And I thought about that, and I thought, man, what I really want for us, for you, for me, is to have that kind of heart, that sensitivity, that when the Spirit of God begins to nudge, we're like that well-trained horse, and it doesn't happen immediately. Simeon was older. I think it takes time. It takes a commitment that says, God, I want, when you touch, when you nudge me, I just want to be moving into the direction you're calling me to do it. I don't know if you're like me, but so often I think God is going like this and boom. Because I think sometimes the way he gets my attention is through pain. Because I refuse to listen. I refuse to obey. You know what causes a greater sensitivity? Is when you obey and you do it quickly. When it causes calluses with your fingers is when you do something again and again and again. So like when you just say no, 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 and God keeps nudging and nudging and nudging and a callous in your heart comes, it says in Scripture, and eventually God has to go, boom. Who wants to live that way? I just want to challenge us to be thinking about this. There is an area in your life that you can look at and you can say, God, I want the spirit of my heart to be such that when you nudge and you touch, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to commit do that it's not wishful thinking it honestly takes work to say god i want to get to know you i want i want to read your word i want to understand you i I want to grow in you i want to i want to do what it said if you've not made a decision to be born again it, it requires that and then that surrender and then it makes a commitment to develop in this one area the sense of touch that says god i want to so listen throughout the day that when you nudge me i'm going to begin to respond Now, there's all kinds of books on hearing God and and things like that that can help you understand when God is speaking to you. There's a second thing around touch that I I just want to touch on. That wasn't in my notes. I just, yeah. Develop the touch of risky faith. It kind of goes with this, but in Luke chapter 8, verse 42, the last part of that verse in verse 48, Jesus is on his way to heal someone who had been asked. You know, a guy came to him and said, I need you to come. I need you to heal my, my child. And, and so Jesus is on his way. And as he's on his way, it says the crowds almost crushed him. That's how, have you ever been in an experience where you just are being crushed by the crowds? I, I went to opening day um, Chicago Cub game, Wrigley Field, uh, about a few years ago when I was in college. Um, and honestly, it was so crushing it picked me up and I was being moved without my own feet. And I was scared to death. Jesus felt the crush of the crowd often and I think the disciples would kind of push him away and say, hey, wait, wait. He's walking on. He's crushed by the crowd. And a woman there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years but no one could heal her. Hopeless situation. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. It'd be like when I'm moving, like, who's touching me? And when they all denied it, which is just all of a sudden there's just this kind of awkward moment that happened so often when Jesus was with his disciples and others. There's this awkward silence. There's a guy among the disciples who just has to speak. It's Peter. Peter says, 
Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. Kind of like, duh, we touched you. What, that's a, what kind of question is that? But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. There's this woman, she comes behind Jesus. She Fearfully, you can almost see her. She's reaching out, hoping just to touch the edge of his cloak, believing that something of this holy man will pass on to her. If she could just touch it. There's tradition that would say that if you touch the hem of a garb of a, a person who is holy, that you would receive some kind of healing. It's a possibility. And so she was just hoping to do it. So she reaches out. She touches in faith, just hoping. And as she reaches out with her hopeless need and touches Jesus with faith, something miraculous happens within her because she reached out in faith and touched him. She feels it. She knows the bleeding has stopped. As Peter said last week, she tasted at that very moment when she touched him the goodness of God. And she reaches out with her hopeless need. But to her surprise, Jesus turns. She's not expecting this. He turns because he feels energy. He feels this power of God flowing through him. Now, again, she hasn't touched him. She's touched his robe. So what's going on here? It's a touching of the spirit. He feels it. It goes out. It's a touch of faith. And as she reaches out and touches him, he turns and he says, who touched me? Someone's touched me. Now, she didn't want anyone to know. She had been feeling shame for years and years. She had carried this guilt. It was part of what it meant to be in a place where you were bleeding. You couldn't go into the places where others would go. You couldn't touch other people. Imagine a life like that. And Jesus doesn't want her to get healed and kind of walk away. He wants wholeness, fullness. So in verse 48, he looks and he says, daughter, as she kind of goes, can you just see her hand kind of going up like this? You with me. And he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. He wants wholeness, fullness, emotional, relational, physical, all kinds of healing. By merely believing with expectation and hope, you can bring to Jesus whatever need you have. You also can touch Jesus with faith. You don't even need to touch his body or his robe. You just do simple faith and trust, bringing that need, even if it feels hopeless before him. Now, I have no idea how he will answer that. But I do know this. He will always lead you into peace and wholeness. That's his promise. So get really good at touching Jesus with your need. Get really good at helping other people understand they can touch God through faith. And then there's the last here. Develop the touch of what I call practical compassion. Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 13. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. Get the picture, covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand with practical compassion and he touched him and he says, I am more than willing. I think that's what the words really mean. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And I love the reaction of Jesus. He doesn't 
um, do what some of us do. He does what no one dares to do. He touches this ill, sick guy. With this flu going around, how many people were excited to go into homes or be with someone who had it, right? Here's this guy. And Jesus could have gone, ooh, ish, back off. I'm willing, but, you know, keep your distance. We can do this from here. He doesn't. He feels the leading, the, the nudging of the spirit. I, I'm, you're supposed to touch this. So Jesus touches this guy, and this guy needs the touch, and he's healed. And Jesus touches shameful, sick, guilty people all the time. Because he's filled with practical compassion. Sees people who are hungry and he provides a meal for them. He feeds 5,000. All kinds of different ways that he practically touches people with compassion. All kinds of ways that you can take this gift as you begin to feel the nudging and leading of the Spirit. And you recognize that if people by faith reach out and touch Jesus, you can, through practical compassion, touch their lives and help them in that process. You can move people into a deeper relationship with God. You can actually move people who are being guided by their physical senses into a life of the Spirit where the spiritual senses begin to be activated in their life. And they experience what we want everyone to experience in this church and throughout this community, the wholeness of God. I was uh, at this uh, service in Austria that Daniel and Julie took us to in an Arabic service and an Egyptian pastor who had been kicked out of Egypt and there were people from different countries, Iraq and others, and they were there for this service. And one young man, Ali, they at the very end of the service asked him to stand up and testify. He stood up and testified and said that he was afraid to learn German and to move into this, this uh, educational trade. He's just a young guy in his early 20s, I think. But he stood up and he said, I had this voice telling me I couldn't do it, I couldn't do it, I couldn't do it. And then there was this one voice, this gentle voice that said, you can do it, you can do it. And he said, I listened to that voice. And he not only began to, he learned German quickly over the period of time and, and passed the test that he needed to take beyond what he could ever imagine. Really great grades. I came up to him afterwards, talked to him, and he started to share a story with me. And uh, shared with some things with me, and then at one point said he needed someone to help translate because he didn't know English well enough to be able to share and shared more of the story. He shared about how, at a certain point, his father, who was um, from Iraq, uh, he uh, his this Ali left the Muslim faith to follow Jesus Christ. His father, after Sodom had been. Uh, Removed and the U.S. came in. His father, who was not a Christian, uh, signed up, and he's not seen him since. He signed up for to be some of the military police, and he's praying. His heart was kind of broken about that. His mother's still there, and he was broken about that. And I just remember just feeling so much angst in my heart, and I just didn't know what to do except for this. I just had this nudging. It's just, I just put your hand on him and pray for him. And it was, it was really a, a, a I think it moved me more than maybe him. Although I felt that God was at work. I, 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 God's at work, you guys. He's doing great things. All he wants you to do is use your touch and that sense and that practical compassion, whatever that looked like, to touch other people's lives. And we had an experience this last week where we did that with 120-some people who went through. I want you to watch this report, this video of, of Channel 12, our local cable thing, um, and what they had to say about this event. 
A Plymouth church offered a unique opportunity for people passing by today. On this national day of prayer, wise at a free church in Plymouth wanted to make things as easy as possible for drivers who needed a little faith in their lives. Delane Cleveland explains. Beautiful day. Very blessed day. We all look for ways to make life more convenient. A busy highway with road work underway isn't normally the first place where you'd look for such a thing. You are a God of restoration. You are a God who can work in situations that we think are impossible. But Plymouth's Wyzetta Free Church discovered an opportunity. 10,000 cars a day go by, and it's a perfect opportunity for us to just say, you know, you might not want to enter the church, but maybe you still need prayer. Father, I just thank you for this time together. On this National Day of Prayer, a group of volunteers are offering drive-through prayers. And so, Father, we ask that you would speak to her mind. For anyone who comes through the church parking lot. I'm so thankful. I don't have anyone else to go to. I knew I could come here. I knew I could stop, and I knew that they would care about me. In today's busy world, it's easy to get caught up in life and everything it brings. Thank you, Lord, that you are so amazing. But sometimes, when we pray for your perfect work in this situation, the kindness and accessibility of strangers can make a world of difference. And for them to be able to just drive through and have somebody bless them with prayer, what could be better than that? This is the second consecutive year that Wyzetta Free Church has offered this service with no other motive than to let everyone know that there are people out there who care. They said they didn't even know what they wanted prayer for, but they just stopped. They stopped at a rate of roughly 10 cars per hour. My hope is that people come through who don't get to experience a lot of prayer every day in their life and to feel that, that changing grace of God. In Plymouth. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Delane Cleveland, CCX News. Officials from. So, Channel 5 was struck by that and did a report. Um, here's what I just want to say about this I am amazed at our world right now. If people are willing to serve people in just practical, compassionate ways, it's amazing what God can do. So when I talk about Serve Sunday coming up on June 3rd, that is a practical expression of compassion. It is what we want to do. Imagine a church that does whatever it takes to serve this West Metro in the name of Jesus. I I have to just say, George has been working on some of this stuff, and do you know that the three Wayzata schools right around us here have opened their doors to us? They've never done that before. And it's not for us to come in and give them tracts. It's for us to come in and serve these people in the name of Jesus with love and compassion. I can promise you the world's taking notice. I had a guy this week come and was doing some work on my house. And he said to me, I hear you're a pastor. I said, yeah. I told him the church. He goes, oh, you're the church that did that funeral. You're the church with the signs out in front right now. I, I am so proud of what God is doing through us and what he has planned for us. I'm going to ask the ushers to come. We're going to take this offering for Teen Challenge. If you feel led to kind of to give to that.